helping other people when they're down. Do what God tells you to do. Reading the Bible and praying to Him. Trust you are well, and maybe a little better than me. I worked out this week that um, a 15 kilogram porcelain paver is stronger than me. <laughs> Tougher, uh, has more resolve when it's coming down on your shin. So uh, had a little visit to ED, got stitched up, and here I am. Praise God, yeah? I'd love to ask you a question. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to love? Or another question, a biblical one. Is there a verse in scripture that guides the way that you love? Is there a guide verse for loving? It's kind of interesting, um, we in our culture have developed the way that we do church. I don't know whether too many of us have had the opportunity, I know some in the room have had the opportunity to go to Jerusalem and visit the Wailing Wall. Uh, we know from some of our biblical history uh, that certainly worship was a, a very different uh, experience for people than what it currently is for a lot of us today. But if you visit the Wailing Wall, you see how Jews worship. And uh, there's a, a bit of a difference or a change in their personality. Uh, they will walk very quickly without watching anybody and get to the Wailing Wall from the, the city, through the old city, when they arrive at the Waving Wall, uh, they prepare themselves a little bit. The, the rabbis will be there and they will ask permission, some of them, and then you'll see them at, against the wall doing this. And, and when I watch that, I think that what religious behaviour, right? But then also you will see them not against the Wailing Wall, but within the perimeters dancing, shouting, acknowledging, uh, behaving in a way that would seem to say they are captivated by something other than themselves. And they're very serious about it. Now, I'm not going to sit here, normally I'd be standing here, but today I'm sitting here, and say that's how we should worship. But the interesting thing is, that is how they used to worship and that is how generationally they continue to worship. And that's their culture. Not sure how you're going with your guide verse, but there's two short verses that are known as the Shema, which means to hear or listen. That the Israelites, and so we say today the Jews, have as central statements of their faith. 
And practicing Jews consider the Shema to be the most important part of the prayer service in Judaism. It constrains them. And it means to hear or listen. It means to captivate them. It means that they will not do anything else in the morning or after the evening without the focus of these verses. Now, we can go to the Wailing Wall and we can observe their practice and go, wow, that's very religious, look at what they do. But when I actually dig down into the grounding of what creates that behaviour, I feel like my style of worship has lost something. What I consider to be my form has lost something. The Jewish principle is taken from Deuteronomy 6. And in verse 1, and we'll go there in a moment, these are the commands. Chapter 6, verse 1. If your Bible is here, please open it up. Deuteronomy 6. And these commands coming straight from God to each of us effectively. God wanted his followers to get this clear. And he didn't want any confused messages. So these are the commands or the decrees and the laws the Lord your God directed for us to be taught how we should start and finish our day. They are to be observed in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess is how it's expressed. And in verse 2, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Verse 3, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I said there were two verses that were the guide verses for Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So I think it's clear now, right? We're still pretty early in our message today but I think it's pretty clear why these are guide verses for how we love. The hear and listen verses. And Deuteronomy unpacks these laws and decrees. So my follow-up question is this. Why is this teaching central, not only to individuals, but as we've just read, also the family and society? I could say, with some confidence, that this is Northreach command to our families. This is the command 
to each of us as believers here in Townsville? And how or even why is it important for society today? Certainly God hasn't changed. His decrees never change. We've just sung about that. He's unchanging, so any application to life in the Bible is a timeless guide, yeah? Agree? So I want to say as we launch into this pre-Christmas series on loving our neighbour, that it should start in our homes. Love should start in our relationship with God first, from our understanding of who he is, but it can't get bogged down there. It should be, and it must affect our families. It must affect our homes, our relationships, our close friends here at church and amongst all Christians. And I want to dig into this a little. So in Deuteronomy, which is unique in the Jewish world and culture, it generates an understanding of education. It drives their understanding of education. And in education, we have the verb teach. It's up there in verse 1. I've highlighted it. Surprisingly, this is the first time the word appears in the Bible. And right here, in the fifth book of the Old Testament, the, uh, the Pentateuch, it occurs 17 times in this book. So it arrives first and then is emphasised over and over and over, more than any to start with our relationship with God. But it's so important that it's repeated three times as a verb, a doing word, in the first six verses, one, two and six. We are to teach this principle, that's what we learn. And we're then directed to the source in verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I found as I was uh, looking up various verses uh, and uh, quotes around this that Billy Graham, who passed in February 2018, said later in life, I spend more time now on the love of God than I ever used to. So it's never too late to learn this principle. Loving the Lord is not only the greatest commandment of the law, it's the first commandment in the law in Matthew 22 and 38. The command to love the Lord occurs nine times in Deuteronomy, more than any book in the Bible, and in fact, more than all the books added together. It's the last book of the Pentateuch, and therefore God wants this fact to be first and final point for all the followers that would ever come in generations to follow. To love the Lord with all your heart and your soul is exclusive to Deuteronomy until it's picked up again in the New Testament. Occurring three times, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5, 13, 3 and 30, verse 6. And interesting that this timeless teaching for us is the preamble to how we should choose to live and the driving guide on how we learn to love. It comes before anything. It's the first commandment. And so many have described this in practical terms as loving God first vertically before we can love others horizontally. The New Testament teaching is clear on this aspect of how we should love. The first commandment, because love is the motivation for keeping all the other commandments. True love 
like God's love for us, is lifelong, it's dependable, and it's exclusive. It's objective, unselfish, unconditional, and yet uncompromising. The command is to love God with all your heart and your soul. The heart is our being. Uh, the heart is all of this. What we know to be true, what we know that we've been taught, what we work out as we read and God reveals. Our heart is not the organ as described in the Bible, but it is our being and the soul is our life because our life will live on eternally. Amen? Our very living never stops. So with our cognitive and our emotional understanding, we will continue to live. So we better learn how to love. True? And to love God with all your strength, well, that's to love God abundantly with all you've got, with all you are. It's your everything. I actually think this is pretty tough for us humans. Yeah, if, if your experience of loving is a difficult one, congratulations, you're a good human <laughs> because we really struggle with what it is to genuinely love the way God requires us to love. So it does take all of our cognitive, all of our emotional, all of our being, all of our life and our everything to love God appropriately. And we move on to verse 6. It explains, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. After I became aware that my heart wasn't doing everything that it was supposed to, I didn't even know that, but examinations told me that, I was prescribed medication. Now, that's kind of a normal thing for many of us, right? As we get a bit older, you go on some form of medication. A lot of people do. There's only one thing worse than being prescribed medication and being on medication, and that's forgetting to take it. Okay. <laughs> because once your body gets used to that, it becomes, this is what I need. This is what I need. Uh, some people have a day capsule container. Uh, that's how they remember what to take when. Um, others set alarms, right? Whatever works for you, you just do it, yeah? God knew that we needed to share this information in our homes. So he sends this strong word of encouragement. Write it on your doorposts. Now, let's apply some culture here. Why would God say that? Well, maybe because you're not going to get in or out without it smacking you in the face. You're going to see it if it's written on your doorpost. Yeah? And he wants, as we go out, 
into the world and as we come back into our homes, he wants us always to be fueled with this principle of loving God first. Amen? He makes it so very clear and he knows we're human. He made us right. So he understands the stuff that is our lot and we forget things. So he says, write it on your doorposts. Maybe the equivalent for us is to put it on the fridge. Um, I, it, putting it on a doorpost is not going to work for me because we have one of those remote roller doors, you know, or, you know, the, you press the button, the door goes up. We hardly ever go through the front door. Hardly ever. Occasionally, if the postman, you know, beeps his horn, I've got to go and get the key and open up the front door. Or yesterday, I got a visit from someone. What a pain visiting me. I had to go and get the key and let that person in. Like, what's going on with that? Come in through the garage, for goodness sake. That's how we do it these days. Put it on the fridge. But maybe even more than that, for me, putting on... There's a whole bunch of things on the fridge, right? Tracy, I, I love your organisation, putting things on the fridge, but I don't read them. So maybe for me, the best thing would be to tie it on the handle... So I've got to actually move this thing to open it up and then I remember, because I visit the fridge a lot. <laughs> Evidence is all over me, right? <laughs> the context here is to put it where you are never going to miss it. Because God knows we need to love him. The first command is to love the Lord with all you have to love. And I love this term in verse 7, if you can see it there, in bold again, impress. It occurs here for the first time in the Bible in verse 7. It's translated commonly as sharpen. Now for me this week, a lot of lessons, right? I know about sharp things. I've always known about sharp things. Whenever I'm cutting carrots, I, uh, I'm not a chef and I don't do that thing, right? I am so very careful. Because actually, even though I'm I like my left-handed fingers and I want to keep them. So I know cognitively what it is about sharpness. It comes here nine times and use three ways throughout the scriptures. Sometimes in the context of swords, in Deuteronomy, Psalms and Psalms, and arrows, same word, and once as a serpent's tongue in the Psalms. And it's helpful information because what it says is, sharpen up, make sure your children and your household know this truth. Get it, get it sorted, sharpen up. A sword, an arrow and a serpent's tongue are designed to slice, to sever and to sting. They're ineffective if they lose any of that capacity or function. The three verbs impress. In verse 7, tie. In verse 8 and write in verse 9 kind of work together in this teaching. You could translate it really effectively just by saying this, you shall impress them, you shall tie them, you shall write them. 
commands. So what we learn is what God desires most from you is your love for him. Not your labour for him or your living for him. He wants to be the master of your life. Thanks, Mary, because this fits really well with what you shared. Does God get the first fruits of your thought life? Or does he just get what's left over after a busy day? Is the saviour on the throne of your life? It's interesting that as a result of COVID isolation, you know, not so long ago, there was a thing called COVID and a lot of our lives have been adjusted. We've had, or I've had several conversations around this kind of thinking, but the early rules meant that if anyone in your direct household got COVID, you were isolated, yeah? You couldn't go anywhere. Remember that? Not so long ago. And um, I'm a footy fanatic. So through the footy season, players become unavailable and then players learn from the coach and comes playing day, uh, match day, and the coach is not able to be with them because he's in isolation. Uh, so many things changed. The one thing that became apparent to me throughout the COVID environment was that I upped my scale of listening and my scale of trying to stay in touch with whatever the new rule was. Anybody with me? Right? Wasn't it amazing how attentive we suddenly became to rules and regulations? Right? So adjustments happen in humanity. We got so close to actually becoming, dare I say it, like, hey, we could live under a dictatorship because we all sort of come into this new way of living. May it never be, right? But you know what I'm saying? That we adapted because the circumstances required us to adapt. That's human. So if God says, love me in the morning, love me in the midday, love me in the evening, when should we love him? All the time. How should we do it? With all of our being. How are we going to do that? Set reminders. Like never, and then the interesting thing with medication for me was, I got into a pattern of saying, I take it in the morning, right? I take it in the morning. Doctor said, I want you to take this in the morning, at night as well. And I said, no, I take it in the morning. And my doctor said, well, I'll give you a double dose in the morning. I won, okay? Very cool. But I take it in the morning. So when I got up in the morning, one of the first things in my mind is, oh, I've got to do my medication. Now, occasionally, Tracy will say, have you taken your medication yet? I haven't got that far. <laughs> but it's always, yeah, I know I need to do it. Love the Lord your God, and the Jews do it in the morning, and they do it in the evening, religiously, and I look at it and I say, religiously, and then I observe it and think, they never forget. Wow. I could learn from that. It's a priority. When they get up and before they go to bed. What does it mean to love God? It means to love your neighbour. 
It does. Because when you love God, automatically people become important in your life. Loving God translates to love your neighbour. The reason we're doing this at the front edge of our series is if we don't pack this away properly, then we haven't got the rest. The series is on love your neighbour, right? Absolutely essential. So massive in our community. People need love. But it's not going to happen effectively unless we're loving God first. True? You got that? You're getting that progressively, right? We're being reminded about that today, directly from Scripture. What we'll learn over these next few weeks is that God's plan or God's order or God's best way for us to live and to love him deeply with every part of our being will result in us loving our neighbour. Because loving God will always translate to loving others. And Deuteronomy 6 In those two verses, five and six, all about loving God with all of your heart, that 30-centimetre journey from head to the heart can be a long-distance marathon. It can be so, so complicated and draining. And the heart is the inner depth of a person, the inner self, the ground control from which all decisions and actions flow. We can be so busy that we miss that 30-centimetre join. Loving God with all our soul means our whole self as a walking, talking, living being. In Hebrew, the word also means breath. Love God with every breath you take, with all your desire, expectations, emotions and longings. And your soul, as I said before, continues to live. It's, it's the always living part of who we are. The soul embraces the faculties of intellect and will and loving God with all your mind. Uh, Mark's gospel in chapter 12 adds to what we get in Deuteronomy and it means to guard our thoughts and reasoning and imagination by our love for God. And then we have all of our strength about the commitment that calls us to discover every ounce of our energy and use it wisely to focus on him. Love God with your veriness. It's an adverb that means very. With everything, with your veriness, with your muchness, with everything that you have, that's your strength. Love God with your strength, all your strength. Is that helpful? So we can't find any shortcut in the way love works because, you know, the old saying, you can't put the cart before the horse. There's no pulling power in the cart. You don't get anywhere. So love God first and foremost and then you have the power to do what God is drawing you to do. Love God vertically and then loving others. There's another verse that talks about love. In John 3, 16, for God 
loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave himself for you and for me. In evangelism, this is a target verse all the time, that God loves us and gave Jesus for us. The sacrifice that we talk about at Easter is not just a story, it is a love gift from God, that he first loves us, that we are enabled by the way he has created us to love him the way he commands us to love. And when we learn by habit and formed thinking and reasoning and allowing it to be part of our will and desire and then functioning habitually to draw in all of our capacity and focus on loving God, then we find balance. It can happen in a microsecond. It's about giving over and giving up to God. Stop holding on to the things that get our first bits. Love us to take a few moments Reflect on your personal love and your worship of God. Love you to take this to heart and to consider how you're doing with loving God. With those guide verses, with all your heart, soul and strength, Ask God to reveal one thing that he'd like to have you incorporate into your life. Something that may deepen your relationship and worship with him. Think about your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. As the band comes up, is there any area that God's tugging at that he'd like his Holy Spirit to impact you. I want to give you another 10 seconds to think about that. I want to invite you right where you are, right where you are, that if you'd like prayer, and then someone close by, here's the prompt, would get to you really quickly and just pray with you. You can tell them what you'd like prayer for or you could say, just pray for me. But would you put your hand up if you'd like some prayer this morning? Just put your hand straight up. People, get around them now. Up and move. Uh, keep your hands in the air, please. Yep. Anyone else you'd like prayer this morning? Yep. And thank you for those who are responding down here, Murray. Now let's just pray for one another. Just pray. 
This is powerful. We all need prayer. Anybody else would like someone to pray with them? Not embarrassing because it takes all of our strength to love God, yeah? Yeah. We're going to start singing this song, Stay Seated, Stand If You Can. We want prayer to dominate, but... uh, Okay, let's begin to worship. Father, we acknowledge that you alone deserve our love. We need to love you first. We need to love you full. We need to love you with our whole lives. Pray your blessing upon us as we have a desire in our hearts to follow your command.